Uh, do you remember why? I remember about a month ago, for some reason, Blackadder came up, and we were like, hey, we should watch Blackadder. And then I got distracted by uh, BBC kid shows and uh, what did we do last week? The Likely Lads. So finally, we're getting around to Blackadder, but I don't remember why we were going to watch Blackadder in the first place. Because I got a DVD on Blackadder. Oh. And it's, uh, I think it may be the first one because it's set around 1200, 1300 AD. And I mentioned Blackadder. Had you ever heard of it? And you said yes. And then you told me that you believe it travels from uh, century to century. Right. So, uh, which I didn't know. Yeah, so this is why it was kind of nice to, to dip into Blackadder because I only saw it a bit as a kid. I never really watched it as an adult, and I think I'll like it better as an adult because uh, obviously this tale starts with uh, Mr. Bean taking over the world. Mr. Bean was so popular in the 90s. And I was thinking about that. I can't think of any other British import show as popular as Mr. Bean. Because you were saying when you were uh, watching British shows in the 70s, you know, like uh, Doctor Who and uh, Monty Python, you know, it's still somewhat obscure, right? It's still sort of like not what your average person might necessarily be watching. And in the 80s, I can't think of anything that really broke through. There might have been something that I'm not thinking of. But then Mr. Bean in the 90s, just crazy. Every person I knew loved Mr. Bean of all age groups. And then it spread to every country because he didn't speak, you know, it was very easy to import. That's actually, that's a neat story I heard about Mr. Bean. Apparently when Rowan Atkinson was uh, experimenting with the character in like the late eighties, he was on the Just for Laughs festival in Montreal and he asked to be put on the French bill rather than the English one. And the organizers were like, it's a weird thing to do, but hey, whatever, you're the, you're the pro. It's because he wanted to test if the Mr. Bean character would work to an audience that didn't speak his language and it was fine, you know, because obviously that's the whole shtick of Mr. Mr. Bean. And yeah, then they put out a Mr. Bean movie that is actually a little bit, a little bad, but still a huge success. Yeah, like, I don't know, I feel yeah, like Mr. Bean... Mr. Bean spe Christmas specials. Yeah, I feel like Mr. Bean, popular. like, uh, unless there's just something I'm not thinking of, I feel like Mr. Bean has got to be the most successful British show to the non-British world. I don't know, anybody listening to this who thinks different, let me know. <laughs> Drop me a comment. But anyway, because Mr. Bean was so famous, then I remember seeing Blackadder on TV and I was like, oh, holy crap, that's Mr. Bean. But at this point I was like 11 or 12 years old or something. And, uh, and I was like, he's talking. That's weird. But I remember I watched it and it just, it didn't sink in. Again, I think I was just a little too young. And then a few years later, I saw another Mr. Another, oh, there's Mr. Bean again, except now he's in like the trenches in World War One, And I was like, what the hell is this show? And then I watched it. And then in the credits, it said it was Blackadder. So that's how I knew it changed venue. But that's really all I knew. Just these random times I would catch it on TV. And yeah, like it just kind of went over my, my dumb little child head. I just didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> so I saw very sporadic things of when Blackadder was originally out just so random that I I didn't pin it down to the fact that it was covering generations or uh, centuries. But when I watched this uh, DVD not too long ago, I thought, man, what an excellent way to learn British history <laughs> because it's got all these references in it and it and it makes all these people so human, so so normal, so down to earth everyday type living that uh, beautiful way to teach history. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see how it sits with me now. Again, I, I feel like there's 
pretty much zero chance I won't like this, right? <laughs> so like, I mean, I shouldn't say things like that, you know? It's like, but yeah, I mean, Blackadder, it's just, it's like, again, one of those things I always meant to get back and to. when I think of it, when people say, oh, I hate history, or I don't want to, I always hated history. Watch Blackadder, hey? It's, you won't hate it anymore. You'll love it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, well, I don't know what else to say. It's a wonderful way to learn history. So yeah, let me just give you, I wrote down some, some basic info about Blackadder. So Blackadder is a series of four period British sitcoms, which originally aired on BBC One from 1983 to 1989. So this was all just pre-Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean started in 1990. Starring Rowan Atkinson as the anti-hero Edmund Blackadder and Tony Robinson as Blackadder's dog's body, Baldrick. <laughs> and there's a, you know, a little link for the term dog's body. And I was like, I kind of feel like I know what that means just because of the sound of it and that's exactly what it means it's just he's just your bitch he just does whatever needs to be done he's your dog's body <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just that there's some crap work to be done the dog's body does it so it was 24 episodes and four specials and uh, then there's just millions of accolades but some of them are the fourth series Blackadder Goes Forth was ranked 16 in the 100 greatest British television programs according to the British Film Institute in a poll by Channel 4 Edmund Blackadder was ranked third of the 100 greatest TV characters of all time. In a 2004 TV poll to find Britain's best sitcom, Blackadder was voted second best British sitcom of all time, topped by Only Fools and Horses. Do you know the show Only Fools and Horses? No. Yeah, me either. So put that on the list. We'll get to that one of these days. Apparently it's the only show better than Blackadder. And Rowan Atkinson himself said Blackadder was uh, the thing he found the least stressful to do. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously everything is a big production. Being in the public eye is hard, but he said Blackadder was the least hard. Uh, let's see, it's implied in each series that the Blackadder character is a descendant of the previous one. In series one, Edmund Blackadder is the intellectual inferior of his servant Baldrick, but in all the subsequent series, they reverse positions where Blackadder's the clever one and Baldrick's the idiot. Uh, the first series was called The Black Adder and was set in the fictional reign of Richard IV. The second series was set during the reign of Elizabeth I. Black Adder III was set during the late 18th and early 19th centuries in the reign of George III. And Black Adder Goes Forth was set in 1917 in the trenches of the Great War. And there's a, a million little details, but the ones that sort of stood out to me are that Series one was apparently really expensive. Lots of uh, period costumes, outdoor scenes, horses, lots of extras. Uh, so there were big financial cutbacks for series two because they're like, we just can't afford this anymore. That was uh, ridiculously expensive. So we might notice in series two, there'll be a mysterious lack of outdoor scenes all of a sudden. And then they mentioned that series four in particular has a darker tone because the whole thing deals with trench warfare. So that one is also somewhat different. Uh, and then Rowan Atkinson himself said it was a little bit ironic with the first series being the most expensive one because to him, he felt like the writing in series one, he thought was not quite up to speed yet. He, he didn't think it was as good as the other series is that all were done for cheaper. So, Well, just, maybe they were putting so much emphasis on the scenes because they had castles and everything else in that first series uh, that maybe, yeah, the, the writing was, took, a, took a second seat because they were trying to create a perfect historical background. Right. Yeah, and interesting, too, even just that, uh, you know, Blackadder himself in the first series, he's the, the dumb one, and then in all the other ones, Baldrick's the dumb one. So, I mean, they, 
pretty much flip-flopped the whole premise <laughs> from series one. So again, uh, I've only got, I've got the first episode of each series, which obviously is not the optimal way to watch these. I'm sure watching all 24 episodes would be the best way. So it might be a little weird to only watch one from each time period. But, you know, we only got one day here. <laughs> this ain't the Black Adder podcast. But that's what I got. So, yeah, we're going to watch the first episode of each of the four main series. That's the basic rundown. All right. History, here we come. History has known many great liars. Copernicus. Goebbels. Such Ralph the liar. But there have been none quite so vile as the Tudor king, Henry VII. It was he who rewrote history to portray his freedom. See, that's quite an interesting, I was saying as we were watching it, I, I can't say this is like the only show that's ever done this, but off the top of my head, I can't think of another example where it's usually mostly the same actors, but they keep going to these different venues in time or whatever. It's kind of a cool idea. I don't know. It's kind of neat. And, uh, and I do think you kind of inadvertently, you do kind of pick up some historical, at the very least you do the, doing it the way we did it, where you just watch one from each, all back to back to back. It is kind of neat to see just the progression of time, you know, and just how things have advanced and then how quickly it advances in that final one, when you're into the kind of the modern era. I find it, it has quite a bit of history in it. And I'm sure as if you watched each progression of each show you'd probably get a whole lot more history but this like this last one for example very dry dry british humor some of it i i didn't get <laughs> until like 30 seconds had passed and i said oh yeah okay i got it very droll but they brought in a lot of um, references to like uh, general Haig, who was really big during world war one in trench warfare but then they've got the little jokes, like, you know, Sergeant Darling, and they keep calling him just Darling. Yeah, i got to admit, I actually don't know very much at all about World War One, But uh, I can definitely see, though, why, as a kid or as a young teen who was a big Mr. Bean fan, I can see why I bounced off this show. Because it's very weird if you are just expecting Mr. Bean to see Mr. Bean being so Machiavellian and, uh, you know, just like, he's just a real dick. And uh, yeah, I can see why I, I didn't seek out more Blackadder as a young person. It's definitely a show for grown-ups for sure, as silly as it is. Like, it's just not, not the universal comedy of Mr. Bean. That's not at all what this is. This is hyper-specific comedy. And very, very dry humor. Some of it was like in-your-face kind of humor, but most of it was very droll, very, very dry. And you really have to pay attention to what they're saying in order to get it. That's what I do find funny, though, about British comedy in general, is it is kind of a mix of both, where it does have a lot of that stuff, but every once in a while they just go way over the top. Like, I went and looked this up because this line was so insane <laughs> that uh, I had a feeling if I Googled it, it would come right up. It was from the third series, and it was you, Laurie, saying... <laughs> Tally-ho, Blackadder. You look as happy as a man who thought a cat had done his business on his pie, but it turned out to be an extra big blackberry. <laughs> like, what the fuck kind of line is that? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of got a good mix of, like, it, it's got the clever kind of stuff. Blackadder in particular, a lot of the stuff he says, like you're saying, is very low-key and very, very droll. And then you just get the stuff like that that they throw in to kind of wake you up. <laughs> and when he shows, especially in the last one, World War One, he shows all those 
pompous generals, pompous, every, everybody who's in the upper echelon, they're all pompous snots. <laughs> and he, he pulls that off like really, really well. And he makes that little comment at one point in time about people who went to university, like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. how, how dumb they really are. Yeah, their weird little sayings and their little songs and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think maybe that's one thing too that makes the World War One season seem extra dark is that it's so much more relatable because every single one of the series has had that same idea of just this brain-dead aristocracy that's in charge of everyone's lives and are making these horrible decisions and causing everyone to die. But it's a lot more abstract when it's happening in 1550 or whatever. When you see it in the modern era, and it's like, oh, geez, that's like that's just depressing. Yeah, and everybody is very well versed, usually, in what the trench warfare was, and running out of the trenches toward the enemy in an open field, and just being blasted all to hell. Most people are very aware of that and have seen movies of it, uh, whereas the other stuff is more because it's it's centuries old. And unless you're a historian, you probably don't know a whole lot of the references that they make. Yeah, because in the old ones, like there's still these, like especially Baldrick. Baldrick is ludicrously, uh, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Tragic, I guess, almost. Like when Baldrick is saying that he doesn't even know his first name because he just grew up as a gutter snipe just on the streets. Yeah, he thought his name might be sawed off. <laughs> <laughs> That's all anyone ever said to him. And yeah, just like... What a, just a pathetic life where he's like, hey, master, is it all right if I sleep on the roof tonight? Because if I sleep in the gutter again, they're just, they're going to wash me off into the, into the canal. And <laughs> just like constantly talking about eating dung and just like really just a pathetic life. But, but, but that, yeah. Centuries ago for people who were poor, that was their life. They did live in gutters, and they had little hope of anything other than maybe a dung meal or a turnip meal. Because the highlight of your life was like to see a big turnip, to buy a giant turnip. <laughs> if you had a million dollars, you'd buy a giant turnip. <laughs> That's all you can imagine. And for a lot of people throughout history, the, the poor, that was their life. And yet everybody else, the, you know, the snots, the, the higher aristocrats, the educated, they had, they had it all. And you see that as you're going through this series. One thing, too, that uh, could be why they never made any more series is after the World War I uh, series is apparently how that one ended. Is You know, how they kept trying to dodge the big battle and the, the big push. You know, they're constantly talking about, got to go over the top, got to have the big push. And Blackadder says, what, you mean we got to just run toward the enemy and get killed in 10 seconds? Apparently in the final episode of that series, they finally can't dodge a big battle anymore. And the last scene is them all running to their presumed death. So maybe that's why. Maybe that really is the end of the Blackadder lineage. He just finally didn't have any more kids because he didn't make it out of World War I. So, I mean, that is pretty, that's pretty bleak. Pretty black. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because even though I was saying how I really don't know that much about World War One, like World War Two is a lot more, even just from movies and stuff, it's covered much more. But what I do know of World War One is like that stuff like mustard gas and whatever. Like there was a certain level of the rules of engagement that didn't exist yet. They, they would just do anything to each other, no matter how awful it was. And it's like, yeah, in that sense, World War One really, really brutal. What an awful fucking... And World War One was probably... The end of that type of warfare, 
which throughout this series you see where they they do battle they get on a horse in the first one horses and they just smash into each other and kill each other on an open field same thing during the the uh 1500s elizabeth the first that's how they fought they that's how they fought right up in the napoleonic wars those big battles that's they just did it on an open field and and world war one was probably the last of that because there was a whole different kind of warfare in World War II, you had planes and tanks, and one side didn't say, okay, well, we're gonna plan a battle at such and such a place, and we're gonna, and the other side comes right at you, and you go right at them. So it's fitting, probably, that they finished this series with that World War I type of battle, because actually, we saw battles all the way through them. Yeah, it'd be one of those things, because each series jumps ahead quite a bit, if they did do another series after that, they would have to jump pretty much straight to now. And yeah, it just wouldn't be the same of like, nowadays you still have the uh, people in charge, but they're more just, you know, destroying your life spiritually and making you feel downtrodden and depressed about your, your jobs or because you don't trust your government or whatever. But it's not as direct, like, go get killed. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you plebs, here, we'll put you in uniform, we'll give you a slice of bread and a little bit of stipend and go off there and... Don't hide behind a tree. Just go right out in the open and get yourself killed. And if you're in the front line, I think at one point they say the first 10 lines, you're dead. That's it. Somebody in one of, in one of these shows, I forget which one it was, but said that. But, yeah, that's been the kind of the history of mankind right up until probably the end of World War One, when the form of warfare changed big time. One thing that, uh, I don't know where I heard this, but uh, that in Russia, this might even be up to World War II, but just that what they didn't have, they didn't have enough guns. They didn't have as many guns as they had people. So the idea was you give the people in the front lines the guns, and as they die, the people behind them pick up yeah. those guns. And that, it's was, like, that would be World War II. Yeah, that's pretty bleak as well. Another big difference, though, between the end of let's, the war of World War I and the world of World War II, up to that point, the wars, wars had been battles uh, between this army and that army. In World War II, one of the big changes were civilian populations were just at the mercy. There were no big battles on open fields anymore. There were bombs thrown at civilians. There were airplanes that bombed whole cities. See, that was something new. Up to that point, it was, yeah, big armies versus big army. And civilians, I'm not saying the civilians didn't suffer, but they didn't suffer like they did in World War II because it was the armies bashing against one another. So that was maybe why they finished Black Adder at the end of World War I. Because you can't have battles of what you'd been showing all throughout history before that. All of a sudden, it was like the end of an era and the beginning of another whole gross form of warfare. <laughs> yeah, it really is different now. Because even like by, uh, you know, the 90s with the uh, Gulf War stuff, that's when they were getting into like drone strikes. And I remember there's a joke in The Simpsons where uh, Bart and Lisa go to military school. And the military guy, after they graduate he's like yeah you know to be realistic about it though you're not going to go off to war instead these wars will be fought by tiny robots on top of faraway mountains and your job will be to maintain these robots because <laughs> yeah it's like we're in a whole different it's a whole different thing now a whole different world 
But yeah, that's what I think is kind of interesting too is, you know, I liked those Blackadder episodes, but I certainly wouldn't say it was the funniest show of all time. I mean, of shows we've watched, it's it's yeah, not hilarious. Yeah, well, I don't hilarious. think it's intended to be, to be rip-roaring funny. I think it's, especially in the latter show, black humor. Right. Where it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. But even, uh, yeah, and even as we were watching the earlier ones, I was saying to you, just, just anecdotes I'd read about, you know, medieval times and what it was like to like fleas and just all of their latrines and those awful problems of like the, that Blackadder allows you to have these conversations about history is kind of interesting. That's not something your average comedy, you know, doesn't usually open up those avenues of, of discussion. So it's weird because even though it is a comedy and it's got all kinds of goofy stuff in it, it is kind of neater as a pseudo historical journey <laughs> than yeah. it is as a comedy. And it's got, for even its lighthearted jokes on the surface, when you think about it, there's an underlying truism to a whole lot of what they're saying. And if you think about it, you're laughing, but you're thinking, oh man, like this is really hitting to the core of humanity. It's an excellent, excellent show. They've done a wonderful job with that thing. Yeah, or even uh, as it does approach the modern age, how it does get more and more relatable, where the first two series are, again, very far back, but even by the third one, where everybody's kind of got their Mozart-looking clothes and stuff, and that the whole thing is just about this crooked election and how so few people even get votes and even matter. And again, it's a little less like that now, but, but that's, you know, you can feel that. Of like, I mean, nowadays it's more, yes, we do have different political parties, and yes, everybody gets a vote, but does it actually matter? It's just one puppeteer holding two puppets. <laughs> you know, it doesn't actually matter who wins. Oh, the left won this time, the right one next time. In the grand scheme of things, it's still, you know, uh, stuff beyond the control of the average person is, is still running everything, and everybody feels that way. So, yeah, it's like much more... Another thing that is so interesting about this show, obviously somebody had to do a whole lot of research to get the historical backgrounds that they used here and pull it all together in something that is fairly lighthearted on the surface, but it's got a whole lot of deeper meaning underneath. This just wasn't some Yahoo writer sitting down and spinning out something in an evening. Um, this is somebody who really looked up a whole lot of background and then came up with what we saw, and it's I'm really impressed. And even on a... Uh very shallow level. I was really enjoying in those first two series especially, I'm just presuming that most of the clothing and stuff is probably pretty accurate because it's a production made in England and they just, they know their own history and they have all this stuff around for other BBC productions. But just seeing how the hats changed even, the different types of hats, like in the first series, the hat, weird hats I'd never seen before, but there's... <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. I've seen a lot of that medieval shows, but... Yeah, they were, everybody wore a hat, and, and they was, were different. They almost looked like Scandinavian. Yeah, these hats with no brims, but it was still a very clear difference like between... Yeah, but it was still a much fancier one that Blackadder had, as opposed to Baldrick's crappy one. But then, yeah, you jump ahead 200 years, and now it's a whole new array of hats. And then in the third series, it's more the wigs. The hats are kind of out, because you can't wear a hat on top of a wig. It's a hat on a hat. You don't need that. Yeah, just. But Hugh Laurie's wig in that, oh, wasn't that a beautiful wig? Yeah, it's weird because, again, I was saying to you how you, you knew him from before, but I knew him as House, and I was very surprised to learn about his past as this comedic actor. But him in Series 3 of Blackadder, that's when I picture him. That seems like that's him way more than 
than Dr. House. <laughs> you know, that well, just... As I told you in G's in Worcester, he's Worcester. <laughs> that's him. Yeah, that's another okay. one I'll have to add to our list. We'll have to watch that one of these days. Uh, yeah, and then also just Baldrick. Weird, weird to see him in uh, World War One without his long peasant hair. But man, and the beard. Right. The beard was the big one because he always had a little beard or a big beard throughout history. But clean shaven, looked like an entirely different guy. But that guy reminded me of uh, what was the lady's name from the Carol Burnett show who played Carol Burnett's sister all the time? Oh, uh, uh, Vicki Lawrence. Yeah, I remember what I found especially hilarious about Vicki Lawrence is that everybody else was cracking up, but she never did. She's the most straight-faced person in the world. The guy who plays Baldrick, very similar. Man, that guy never, like you couldn't even imagine him breaking character. But there's that, like to be that vapid and to just miss everything that's happening around you and to take no offense to anything, even though he's being, people are offending him several times a minute and he just is like he doesn't have any clue. <laughs> it's, it's impressive, you know, it's probably not easy to just really emote that level of, and then when they're, they literally have him on a spit and they're like roasting him to, uh, to punish him and he doesn't even really get that it's bad. It's just like, all right. It's probably the first time he's been warm. Yeah. <laughs>